0: Welcome to World Policy on Air, a weekly podcast from the pages and website of World Policy Journal published by the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. I'm David Alpern. In this week's program, posted May 19, 2017, We talk with World Policy Institute senior fellow James Nolt about last weekend's North Korean missile test and his recent World Policy blog post headlined Another Korean War. We'll also point out top features in the new WPJ spring issue, cover line Fascism Rising. But first, this week's winners and losers report from Ian Bremmer, president of Eurasia Group, Global Risk Consultants. Winners and losers from Abuja, it's the North Korea keeps escalating. Kim Jong-un is a winner. He's in the headlines. He loves it. Moon Jae in, uh, winner because he's got flexibility, but not for long. Shinzo Abe, loser. It's tough to be Trump's best ally in the world when North Korea is popping off. Trump, winner. Anything is better than the Russians. And Xi Jinping, loser. There's nothing but downside from dealing with the North Koreans, sir. listening to world policy on air. Now this. Speaking to Bloomberg on Monday, Trump said if it would be appropriate to meet with Kim Jong-un, he would absolutely be honored to do it, again emphasizing
1: the right circumstances.
0: North Korea has yet again defied the international community, launching some sort of ballistic missile just hours ago. Once again, the threat of North Korea is mired in mixed messages. Just days after President Donald Trump said he'd be honored to meet the North Korean leader under the right circumstances, and only hours after Pyongyang's chief nuclear negotiator said her country, too, was ready for such talks if the conditions are mature, North Korea test-fired yet another ballistic missile, new or improved, and hitting the Sea of Japan only 60 miles from Vladivostok, closer to Russia than ever before. That drew Moscow dramatically deeper into the complex and accelerating Korean conundrum. It also suggested that the rocket's range, if redirected, could menace the U.S. airbase on Guam. And it raised old questions about whether diplomacy could really do much to halt or significantly slow Pyongyang's aggressive development of nuclear warheads and delivery systems that, sooner or later, could rain devastation as far as the U.S. mainland and the weekend missile test was only one of numerous contradictory indicators of the prospects for diplomacy. On the positive side, China ignored U.S. objections and included North Korea in its major Silk Road initiative for international cooperation, and the newly elected President of South Korea declared revival of an earlier Sunshine policy to improve relations with the North. On the negative side, as the CIA opened a new mission center in the South, Pyongyang threatened to ruthlessly punish four detained Americans and take other revenge for what it claimed was a CIA-hatched plot to assassinate President Kim and a broader Washington effort to escalate tension by sending a Navy battle group, aircraft, and anti-missile missiles to the South. To consider all this, related developments and policy debates, we're joined again by World Policy Institute Senior Fellow James H. Nolt also an adjunct professor at New York University. His recent post on the World Policy blog is headlined, Another Korean War, and we talked about it shortly after the North's missile test for this podcast. Jim Nolte, welcome back to World Policy On Air. Good to be here. We're dealing here primarily with two leaders, Trump and Kim, who may be almost equally predictably unpredictable and provocative. (laughs) Let's start with Kim. What do you see as his rationale for a missile test, just as Washington, Seoul, and Beijing and his own chief nuclear negotiator seem more open to diplomatic relations?
1: Well, I think uh, the, the regime of, in North Korea, Kim's regime, feels even more insecure than previous Korean regimes, North Korean regimes have. And so one of the, the ways to kind of rebalance that insecurity is to have uh, real nuclear power, I think without it, uh, North Korea fears being isolated, neglected and and remaining uh, fairly impoverished.
0: What message to and response from Moscow do you see in the missile's flight path? Putin has stressed talk uh, over threats and offered to play a constructive role.
1: Well, I do think that North Korea wants to get the maximum attention and, you know, I've sometimes joked that the, the main export of North Korea is fear, because they try to put pressure on other countries by being you know, the, the proverbial bad boy if, they are not, if they're ignored or isolated. So they don't have much of an economy that can export things that most countries want to buy, so they're looking for other ways of exercising influence, and, and the nuclear weapons development clearly has gotten the world's attention.
0: Many analysts find a groundhog day dynamic here with on again off again talks never definitively ending pyongyang's strategic weapons development. what's your view
1: on that I do think that's a problem because you know the the strategic situation for North Korea has deteriorated during the Cold War. They had uh, potential allies in both the Soviet Union and the people 's Republic of China uh, They also had a strong mechanized military force with with arms and training and support from both of those. So North Korea was much more secure. They also had a more viable economy uh, that worked in cooperation with the rest of the socialist bloc. But all of these factors have deteriorated or vanished. And so now North Korea is much poorer, both relative to the South and and also uh, relative to most of the rest of the world. It's more isolated than ever before. And its military uh, abilities have declined significantly, partly because of a shortage of fuel. It's re- really caused the military to demechanize and to neglect tra- training. So uh, I think they, they imagine that the only thing that gives them any uh, credibility in the world is having this kind of nuclear weapons and missile program.
0: Uh, focusing now on Washington, you see four lines of evidence that if the U.S. becomes involved in any new war, it would be with North Korea. First, the North's vulnerability. Say more about that.
1: Well, um, the North, as I mentioned, their conventional military force is fairly vulnerable, and of course, many people uh, panic at the thought of nuclear weapons, but remember, so far, North Korea has a limited number of nuclear weapons and no proven delivery system for those, and so... Certainly, they have no capability of attacking the United States right now. Uh, South Korea would be vulnerable, certainly, in the event of a war with the North. Uh, probably up to tens of thousands of South Koreans may die in such a war, but North Korea would ultimately lose with a combination of the South Korean plus American military. The, any full-blown war would have an, an obvious conclusion that the North would, would lose and, and probably the regime would be overthrown. And, perhaps the North occupied by the Southern uh, regime. So the the war itself would be an extremely high-risk existential problem for North Korea. It's much more likely that they'll use diplomacy both to stave off the threat of war, but at the same time to avoid trading their their key card away, which is their uh, nuclear power that gives them some degree of deterrent capability, and perhaps increasing deterrent capability as they develop long-range missiles to deliver the nuclear weapons.
0: Of course, there are thousands of American military and civilian personnel in South Korea now who would also be vulnerable. But you say uh, you think Trump or his advisors might see political benefits in a preemptive strike. Uh, what are they?
1: Well, uh, right now, of course, Trump has a number of different dif- a number of difficulties. The Russia investigation, of course being in the headlines recently, he's, his, um, uh, many of his legislative proposals have uh, been problematic uh, the, despite the fact that the Republicans can uh, control both houses of Congress. There uh, there are considerable difficulties in getting through his main uh, items of legislation such as the health care reform and the tax reform. So I think uh, the the one thing that would sort of rescue his regime or could rescue his regime is a short and successful war. Americans don't like uh, long drawn out wars, but if there were, a, particularly his base, if there were a war where he could say, you know, we saw a major threat and we defeated it and eliminated it, uh, I think that could turn around his popularity in a way that may be difficult to do just in the domestic policy arena.
0: And you say there are thirdly uh, trade and domestic spending factors
1: that 's right because um, trade with uh, the the main trading partner of North Korea is the people 's Republic of China, and of course, during the campaign, Trump emphasized the uh, what he considered the threat that Chinese exports uh, posed to American jobs. that was one of his key themes. every speech he hammered that and He even went so far as to say that China's raping America with its currency policies and its uh, uh, large trade surplus to the United States. But a conflict uh, in Korea could certainly allow Trump extraordinary powers to sanction uh, Chinese trade in in a way that he would not be able to do with the normal peacetime powers and, and with the resistance that he'd meet in Congress to... Any severe interruptions in trade, but in the context of a war, that would be a much easier prospect. Even if China wasn't militarily involved, he could argue that because of Chinese uh, trade with and support for North Korea, that uh, you know various kinds of embargoes against them would be necessary. So I think that would be the only way for him to get very substantial protectionist measures that would uh, appear to be central to his program. Although so far he hasn't done too much along those lines you know, to indicate that he's going to keep his campaign promises as far as protection goes.
0: A fourth factor on which the Trump White House might focus, you say, is Pyongyang's reputation for recklessness. How does that figure
1: in? Probably nobody in the world is more belligerent in, uh, than uh, Kim Jong-un, in the North Korean leader, and his demonstrated uh, willingness to, uh, of course, recently demonstrated by the assassination of his uh, his half-brother in in, um, Malaysia. Also, there have been a number of of incidents attacking South Korean ships, of sending commandos into South Korea, of assassinating um, Korean leaders some years ago in Burma. So uh, he has a reputation of aggressiveness. So any kind of incident uh, with North Korea, no matter how it was provoked, Uh, you could plausibly spin it that the North Koreans are at fault and it's one of the few countries where there wouldn't likely be the possibility of an, an investigation or even an unbiased look at it. Most of the world would assume that Crazy Kim was at it again and so he could more easily get the sympathy of the world against North Korea than probably any other country.
0: Given the vast U.S. nuclear and conventional weapons advantage, some say mutual assured destruction. Uh, as we saw in the Cold War should prevent a North Korean attack on the US. Others say that Pyongyang's nukes and missiles uh, may end up too widely dispersed and deeply buried to be quickly eliminated, uh, which could be uh, what Trump doesn't want, a very long and costly war. What's your take on those two views?
1: Well, I don't think uh, North Korea is nearly as serious a military threat as a lot of people make out. Even if they develop long-range missiles, because North Korea has a very big disadvantage relative to, say, China and the Soviet Union during the Cold War, both of which are large continental powers. North Korea is a fairly small country with two coasts, and the American Navy, of course, controlling the sea, can have ships right off those coasts in pieces in wartime. And most of the uh, more advanced American ships today have anti-missile missile systems on them with the Aegis radar that's designed for missile intercept. Now, a lot of people have said, well, anti missile defenses don't work very well. That's been somewhat true of terminal defense, which means you're defending against the, the warhead coming down on you at the end of its long ballistic flight, but it's much easier to intercept missiles during their boost phase when the rockets are just taking off and beginning to accelerate into the into space. And because American ships could be so close to the Korean launch sites, it would be much easier to contemplate boost phase interceptions, which would make a robust missile defense much more possible in relation to North Korea than it would be, let's say, uh, vis-a-vis China or the Soviet Union, the old Soviet Union or or Russia today.
0: The economic pressures on North Korea now include China suspending purchase of its key export coal. How much more do you uh, think Beijing would or could do to halt Pyongyang's strategic weapons development? Uh, preventing the predicted flood of refugees from a country destabilized by any U.S. preemptive attack and precluding a unified U.S.-allied Korea?
1: Well, I think the the, the, the kind of embargo that would be most effective, we know that there are some Chinese companies that have sold component parts uh, for both the, the missile program and the nuclear weapons program in uh, North Korea. I think if there were cooperation between the United States and China on and, and, and China on identifying what those strategic materials are and having selective embargoes against the export of you know, of uh, materials that are useful for the rocket and nuclear program, China might contemplate doing that since it wouldn't have that much effect on their companies and at the same time could have a devastating impact on the ability of North Korea to continue its weapons development program. I think the embargo on coal is more problematic because it's just the general reduction in... North Korea's foreign exchange earnings, but it doesn't specifically target the the uh, weapons programs themselves, and so uh, you know the regime can just uh, redirect the use of foreign exchange to the to the really high priority missile programs and and ignore civilian uses. They've shown in the past that they're not terribly concerned about the living standard of the domestic population, and they're willing to sacrifice that to keep their arms programs going. So I think that Chinese. Uh, embargo could be more effective. Now the main thing that's limiting it I think right now is that uh, China probably wants some quid pro quo, some cooperation in return for its action and and I imagine that's part of what President Xi talked about with President Trump when, when she was in Washington recently.
0: Do you think either increasingly nervous neighbor China or the US with its new South Korean CIA mission center could neutralize the growing threat uh, to some degree by high-tech sabotage, as was done for a while by infecting Iran's nuclear program with a computer virus.
1: Well, there's certainly evidence, and there have been news articles suggesting that that's already been underway. And in fact, the missile test program in North Korea has had an extraordinarily high failure rate. I've, I've seen figures as high as 88%. So that may be partly the fruit of Uh, covert actions that are not, you know, public knowledge, but certainly there's been leaks and newspaper articles talking about that there's some degree of of that going on. It wouldn't be surprising if it were. Um, But obviously that can delay the program, but if there's enough attention and enough resources devoted to it, it might not stop it. It certainly hasn't stopped the nuclear tests that have uh, gone on so far, and uh, a few missile tests have succeeded, and so the, you know, the even though the progress might be slow, the North Koreans still appear to be making some progress in their missile development.
0: What about an actual decapitation to remove Kim? Uh, Quote, I've heard of worse things, Trump once said, and there were reports that uh, U.S.-South Korean training exercises uh, may have included such a special operations element.
1: Yeah, well, I'm sure that's something that has him particularly worried, is those kind of suggestions, because uh, You know, that that just would make him redouble his efforts, I think, to try to gain a nuclear deterrent in order to uh, try to deter such action. But it is always tricky to plan on the attack on a specific leader, especially someone as secretive as as, uh, Kim, because there are uh, many ways in which he can disguise his real-time movements and, and perhaps send out decoys or fake messages. And, you know, to have a very high confidence that you know where the leader is and uh in in real time and and be ready to strike i think it's is uh, is, is, a, is a very difficult problem and plus the fact that you might not just want to strike at random at any chosen moment, but you might it might be in the context of a specific uh crisis or development where you don't have the choice of time so exactly so i think it's it's a very tricky operation to rely on decapitation and you know, a kind of similar idea is attacking the communication systems, but that's hard too because they're often redundant. And even if you knock out some of the communications capability, there may be landlines or there may even be uh, signals using runners or other methods that, that still survive. So it's hard to imagine that uh, the U.S. could bank on that type of a strike as being uh, foolproof. Well, let's say it could be done. What
0: would that leave uh, the situation in North Korea? Would the elimination of uh, the, the Seoul leader uh, suddenly solve our problem?
1: Well, yes, that's, that, that's uh, a good question because the North Korean regime, although it's, uh, it's uh, supposedly a kind of communist state, it's actually in many ways a kind of military communist dictatorship. North Korea, to, a, to an extent unlike most of the other Uh, former communist powers has uh, the army essentially in power it's got one of the world's largest armies in relation to its population and most of the party leadership has come through the army through the military if the leader was removed there would still be that powerful military holding almost all the political offices and still with a very uh, security conscious and perhaps increasingly security conscious Uh, view of the world, given that they just lost their leader. So I don't think that would necessarily bring the downfall or the surrender of the regime. It just might be the beginning of of, uh, an all-out war.
0: Do you think the fate of detained Americans will play a significant role in Trump's decision making or recent appeals I've read on behalf of North Korea's uh, quite oppressed Christian minority? He, He sometimes can be susceptible to these things.
1: Uh, it's hard to know. I mean, his personality seems to go from uh, one extreme to another in many cases and depending on what's the last thing he's seen on cable TV and who's the last person he's talked to. So I would want, not want to be in the in the business of trying to predict Trump's reaction to any specific event. But I do think uh, that would be the expectation of the North Koreans in seizing the the four Americans that they currently hold is that they they might have some bargaining leverage or some influence uh, to mitigate American action. Uh, But we remember, for example, that uh, during the Iraq war, Saddam Hussein uh, captured a number of foreigners to use as human shields, including Americans, and it didn't really deter the U.S. action in that case. So I think that's probably a fairly vain hope.
0: How far can South Korea's new moderate leader get with a revived sunshine policy towards the north and expressed opposition to the new U.S. anti-missile system uh, in the south?
1: I think this is the most important development that that makes me somewhat optimistic is the the new president, the presidential election that happened a few days ago and that uh, President Moon, who has come to power, is uh, much more interested in dialogue with the north even though such dialogue can be frustrating, the most important thing about it, I think, is that that it might give uh, the northern leader, Kim, some hope that he's not completely painted into a corner. And if he feels uh, in a desperate situation, he's more likely to to consider threats and, and extreme action. On the other hand, if he sees the hope that there would be some amelioration of relations with the South, if he expects that um, that relations between the two Koreas will improve to his advantage, then he may wish to, to go the diplomatic route and take it seriously. I think uh, certainly when I was in South Korea a few weeks ago and talking to officials there, uh, quite a few of them hoped that the change in, in regime in the South, and I agree with this, will have an ameliorating impact on the North Korean Korean regime.
0: So two final questions. First, what do you see as the prospects for renewed talks with Pyongyang and any real results from them?
1: Well, that's more problematic, I think, because, you know, China, for example, one of the the key players uh, doesn't really want to see regime change. And, of course, Secretary of State Tillerson said the same thing. We're only interested in the nuclear weapons program, not regime change, and getting rid of nuclear weapons. But I really doubt that the North will give up their nuclear weapons. Uh, it seems very unlikely to me because, for example, they saw what happened in Libya when Gaddafi gave, gave up nuclear weapons and with, within a few years was overthrown, partly with the help of, uh, with, of NATO countries in the United States. And um, so I think he sees that as the, as the ultimate guarantor of his own regime and his own rule. It's hard to imagine a package that would be adequate to reassuring him to bargain that away. The fact that there can be talks ongoing make, make all parties want to talk rather than create an incident, and that itself may be a good thing, kind of kick the can down the road. But to expect an ultimate solution, I think, uh, is, is probably very difficult. I think an ultimate solution will depend on a real transformation of the North Korean regime itself
0: or maybe a standoff as you've pictured of uh, U.S. anti-missile systems along the coast in the water and in South Korea and uh, understanding that Korea will develop its program but that, uh, you know, there is a fair chance of, of neutralizing it and, and uh, letting each side feel uh, somewhat secure with that.
1: Well, I'm not sure that the North will feel secure about that. I mean, you know, because if to neutralize their... There, that makes us feel more secure because neutralizing, obviously, the North Korean uh, missile and nuclear threat makes us feel secure, but it won't make the regime feel secure because of their inferiority in conventional weapons and growing inferiority because of the weakness of their economy. So I think uh, there's, there's not in the long term a good prospect that ultimate success and, de- and denuclearizing Korea as the American goal, I think that's very, very difficult to achieve. I do think kicking the can down the road, maintaining peace for a period of time, may be uh, still better than nothing.
0: And the chances under the current U.S. administration for a, a U.S. military effort to solve the problem?
1: Well, I, would, I rated it higher uh, a few weeks ago before the presidential election, certainly when, the, when Trump was deploying the Naval Task Force into the region, which is something I predicted weeks earlier. Um, And deploying THAAD, THAAD is now in South Korea, and apparently it's operational.
0: The new U.S. anti-missile system.
1: Yes. So um, I expected if there was going to be a U.S. military action or provocation that it would come before the Korean election. Once the Korean election has occurred, there's much more likelihood, I think, that, that South Korea will take matters into its own hands and try to orchestrate. Uh, negotiations, and the, that the North will cooperate in that effort. If that's the case, then at the very least, the North would have to suspend any any additional nuclear tests. If they're willing to do that and let negotiations proceed for a period of time, uh, then indeed, I think the the chance of military action is reduced. On the other hand, if negotiations proceed, but North Korea also goes ahead with nuclear tests, I think there's still a significant danger that the U.S. will take some military action.
0: Jim Nolte, thanks again. My pleasure. World Policy Institute senior fellow James H. Nolte is also an adjunct professor at New York University. His recent post on the World Policy blog is headlined Another Korean War. Since we spoke, North Korea's missile launch was predictably overshadowed by President Trump firing FBI Director James Comey after failing to have him drop a probe of fired national security adviser michael flynn his links to russia and turkey according to one of many memos comey wrote after exchanges with trump which was followed by naming of a special counsel for what trump continued to deride as a witch-hunt Meanwhile, however, Trump's U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley threatened to, quote, tighten the screws on Pyongyang's nuclear weapons development and warned of sanctions on other nations, quote, if you are supporting North Korea against the international community, unquote. South Korea's new president said he now saw a high possibility of conflict with the North, which was reported already preparing for U.S. cruise missile strikes following such an attack on Syria that Trump ordered last month. in the new WPJ Spring issue, cover line, Fascism Rising, you'll find articles on the politics of fabricated terrorism, Trump's savage capitalism, and how the left can right itself. Also reports on the infrastructure of counterinsurgency, on the retro-macho politics that doomed Dilma Rousseff in Brazil, and on Ukraine, buffer or flashpoint between Russia and the West. And listen next week when our podcast will consider how human rights may actually benefit from Trump's step back from a two-state solution to the Israeli-Palestinian perplex. World Policy on Air is a production of World Policy Journal at the non-profit World Policy Institute in New York. Editor Christopher Shea, online news editor Laurel Jarambeck, podcast producer Anna Grace Carter. I'm David Alpern.